Hello everyone. All right, we are back for another episode and this one is actually going to be a two-parter where we dive into emotion regulation. So we're going to get started today and then next week you will hear part two. This topic is something that I have parents ask me all the time. They say things like, Taylor, my child has really big emotions and I'm not sure how to support them in the moment. Or Dr. Tay, listen, I am just exhausted by my child's meltdowns. I want to be able to support them, but I am at my wit's end. Can you help me? So we're going to dive into just that. All right, let's do this. Have you ever noticed that when your child is emotionally dysregulated, you have less patience or you feel more on edge? This may be especially true if your child is frequently dysregulated. You have a certain capacity for emotion regulation yourself and you may be reaching your capacity each day. And as you become more dysregulated, so does your child. The solution though is not to just shut off your emotions and weather the storm, but then the question becomes what do you do to regulate yourself and in turn help support your child. So in this episode, we are going to discuss co-regulation and how children learn effective emotion regulation. We're also going to dive into the reasons there is more emotion dysregulation in autism. And then at the end of the episode, I am going to give you five tips for effective emotion regulation. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent. We dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking about emotion regulation. Listen, I could talk about this topic for hours. This actually was one of my areas of expertise when I was doing research. So if you were to go do a scholarly search on something like Google Scholar, you will see I have published lots on this research topic. In this episode though, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the research, but I'm gonna make it digestible for you as a parent. I do wanna keep this episode short though, so I'm going to just give you some key points. But here's the great news. I am hosting a masterclass to dive into this topic further. If you are wanting more on this topic, there is info in my show notes on how to sign up. And so this episode isn't just focused on your child. Of course, we're going to talk about your child and how you can support them because I know that is your primary goal, but I also want you to notice that we are talking about you in this. And the reason for that is what we see traditional approaches focus on teaching your autistic child emotion regulation strategies. And those are great. And we know those work from research, but one of the areas of challenge that I find with working with families is that for the majority of autistic children, and this is actually true of neurotypical children as well, but in particular, autistic children, is they need support with practicing and implementing it. And so if you're asking them to practice and implement it, you need to be familiar with these approaches yourself. And 
this also requires you to be emotionally regulated. So this whole process where you are supporting them in emotionally regulating is called co-regulation. And this co-regulation is one of the things that helps develop self-regulation. So this is true both in and outside of the autism field is that co-regulation precedes self-regulation, meaning it comes before. This is how even neurotypical children learn to emotionally regulate themselves. This means that in the process of your child learning emotion regulation, we actually do wanna be providing a lot of support. That is beneficial and we know that from research. And one of the reasons that they need this co-regulation is this isn't meaning emotion regulation isn't an an innate skill that kids are born with. It is something that has to be taught. It's something that is developed over time. And like I said, this is true for even neurotypical children. Now, with neurotypical children, they just naturally tend to learn more readily from their environment. So if you have neurotypical children, you might be like, well, I didn't have to teach them how to emotionally regulate. They just figured it out. With autistic children, we absolutely know they can learn. And this is true outside of even emotion regulation. It's true across the board, is that autistic children can learn skills. One of the things though, is sometimes it just takes more trials and more repetition of practicing in order for those skills to become independent. So with that being said, what we know about research studies have shown, and then we also see this in real life, in real time, that children tend to seek out their parents when they need comfort, particularly young children. And we know that this process is sometimes disrupted in autism. Even from a young age, we see differences in how autistic children and neurotypical children regulate themselves. This is what I focused on for my dissertation study to earn my PhD. And my dissertation study found that autistic children had more frustration and less joy in in toddlerhood. So all the kids in my study were 22 to 28 months of age. So right around that two year age mark, and we were already seeing significant differences. What's interesting about the autistic children that participated in my study is they attempted to regulate, but they were doing so less effectively. And it's interesting because other studies have found similar patterns. So this wasn't just unique to the sample of children that I had in my study. So from a young age, autistic children, and even those with elevated likelihood, which just a lot of times how we study that is we look at the younger siblings of autistic children, what we know is that they tend to be more reactive. So that's just like a helpful kind of background is that at baseline, your autistic child just might be naturally more reactive. And we're gonna talk about why shortly. So another reason that we're talking about you right now and co-regulation as well is that modeling is one of the most effective ways for children to learn. Again, true across the board, this isn't specific to emotion regulation, but when you model something, that helps children to really be able to notice it. So if you, for example, are screaming at your child, which, listen, I got to say this caveat real quick, is anything I say here is not to shame you about your emotions. It's to help you gain awareness. And one of the keys for change, for growth, is you actually have to be aware that it's happening first. And 
listen, all of your emotions are valid, but one of the things that we're talking about right now is how can you leverage your emotions to help your child have more effective emotional processing. So this happens, every parent does it at some point. But I just want you to kind of like take a step back and listen to this example. So if you are screaming at your child to take deep breaths, maybe your child's having, you know, some sort of meltdown or is really distressed about something or feeling anxious. So you're screaming at them or even just saying firmly, I need you to take a deep breath, right? You're escalated in that moment. You're you're being a little bit more reactive than your baseline. And if you're saying that with this sense of kind of annoyance or urgency, they feel that energy. And so it's actually going to make it less likely that they take deep breaths. This is kind of one of the misconceptions that I hear a lot is that parents are taught that like taking deep breaths is really, really effective for emotion regulation. But then I have parents come to me and be like, oh, Taylor, we have tried that, it doesn't work. And usually with some fine tuning, we can get it to work. And some of that though, is you learning the breathing process yourself, you actually modeling it. And instead of commanding your child to do it, you are saying, let's do this together. Or it might even be, depending on how your child reacts, it might be, I'm going to take a deep breath. And as you you dive into that and you really slow down that process, what we see is that children start to imitate that. Now, if your child doesn't have imitation yet, which is a skill, again, that a lot of times has to be taught in autism, are other ways that you can do it. But even if they don't imitate, it still has this calming presence. And so we're going to dive more into this. But again, the most effective way to get them to engage in deep breathing, for example, is for you to model it. All right. So that kind of talks about why are we talking about you and how children are learning emotion regulation through co-regulation first. So seeing you do it and, you know, you actually being emotionally regulated yourself in order to most optimally support them and help them practice the skills repeatedly. So let's talk about now why we see higher rates of emotion dysregulation in autism, which we do across the board. Taking a step back, though, is understanding what emotion regulation is, right? I'm throwing out these terms. What does it actually mean? Emotion regulation underlies a lot of mental health disorders. So things like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, trauma. Most diagnoses that you find in what's called the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, this is our gold standard tool for diagnosing mental health disorders. The majority, I should say, of those have some component where emotion regulation is coming into play. Now, it's important to keep in mind that we're not saying that emotion dysregulation causes these disorders, but rather that it is a maintaining factor, meaning it contributes to the presentation and it kind of perpetuates the cycle. So there are a lot of definitions of emotion regulation. If you dive into the research literature, you can find a million definitions. I want to keep it really simple for you. I'm also going to um, use the definition and share the definition that I 
used in my research all the time. And so it's really thinking about emotion regulation in two parts. We have the reactivity, that initial reaction, what happens in that moment. And then we also, as part of emotion regulation, have the ability to either upregulate or downregulate. It can go both ways. So I'll give you an example, anxiety. We see that it has high reactivity, meaning you react really quickly, things escalate quickly. And then on top of that, often there's this difficulty downregulating to a calm state. So we have reactivity. It either can be quote unquote, I, I say quote unquote because I don't want to pathologize this in any way or make it sound bad, but for definition purposes is that we have too much of an emotion or too little of an emotion. And too little is often like with joy, like not having enough. Now we don't conceptualize it when we're talking about emotions. All emotions are valid. It's super important for you to recognize that. But in terms of terminology definitions, it's either too much reactivity or too little reactivity. And then you're trying to upregulate, bring your reactivity up or downregulate, bring your reactivity down. Now that you understand what emotion regulation is, let's, I think that's going to help your understanding of this topic and also the reasons that we see elevated rates in autism. So first and foremost are genetic differences. Genetics highly underlie autism as it is, and there is some support that genetic differences also underlie emotion dysregulation. So I mentioned this earlier, but we have key differences early on. So I want you to think about your child as a baby. Would you consider them have more of an easygoing disposition or would you say they were difficult to soothe? So take a moment right now and actually think about your autistic child or your child that you have concerns about, or honestly, any of your children. And if you have multiple children, you might notice too that they had differences in how they were even from a super, super young age. And these differences are what is called temperament. And every kid has a temperament. And we know that temperament is influenced by genetics. And then temperament also informs the development of later personality, and it informs processes which contribute to emotional functioning. So again, easygoing versus difficult to soothe, there's some emotional components that come into it. So genetics is one of those reasons we see higher rates of emotion dysregulation in autism. The next one is an executive functioning deficit. So not only are these associated with autism, executive functioning deficits, meaning we also see them associated with ADHD, which ADHD is often co-occurring with autism. We see quite a high rate of overlap where kids have autism and ADHD. And so executive functioning deficits, you see them with both autism and ADHD, and it includes things like cognitive flexibility, working memory, planning, task initiation. I could go on and on. Let me give you an example though of how executive functioning deficits may be underlying these difficulties with emotion regulation in autistic children. For example, I want to talk about what classically we call as rigid thinking patterns. This is kind of more of a medical term, um, but it helps you kind of conceptualize of like getting stuck on thinking about something or thinking about something in the same way. And rigidity is actually a core symptom of autism. Not all autistic children have rigidity, but 
it is one of those core symptoms that could be part of your child's presentation. So say your autistic child makes a request and for whatever reason, you're unable to honor that. Like maybe they wanna go to the park and it's snowing outside and you can't, or you actually are not able to honor it. They may then have difficulty shifting away from that request. So you might see what we call, again, a medical term, perseveration, where they're kind of getting stuck in their thoughts. They're asking over and over. And the more that you say no, the more that starts to make them escalate because it's frustrating to them. They're not understanding why. Another thing is maybe you honor the request, but it's not in the exact way they wanted, and that is distressing to them. There's all of these ways and not being able to shift the thought pattern, which is a core feature of executive functioning, is causing this distress, is causing this emotion dysregulation. Another example of this is also they may forget what you ask them to do. So working memory is the ability to hold multiple things in your brain. So maybe you ask them to put their toys away, go downstairs, put their shoes on and their coat on. And they put their toys away and then they forget what they're doing. They get distracted. They start playing again. And here's the thing is with executive functioning deficits, they might actually not be able to hold all of that information in their brain. They may want to listen to you and even be attempting to listen to what you requested, but they literally, things are dropping out. And listen, this occurs across the board. We all have a working memory kind of cap of like how much we can hold in our brain. And so then what happens is you come in, you're like, why are you not doing what I told you to do? And they become upset because they wanted to do a good job, but it simply dropped out. And then as they become more upset, you react more and more to that and how they didn't follow directions. And so it causes this like big blow up. And so again, I want a caveat here. I share this not to shame you of like, you shouldn't be telling your child, why didn't you follow directions? I hope that this gives you some insight of where some of this emotion dysregulation may be coming from, but this is to help you learn. And I want you to keep in mind, I hear this a lot from parents, especially I would say before parents start therapy and really learning about autism is, well, I think they're intentionally not listening to me. They they want to disobey me. I'll hear things like they look right at me and they do the opposite. And more often than not, yes, Autistic children can have co-occurring opposition or defiance as part of it, but I would say more often than not, your child may not be doing it intentionally and they may not be trying to ignore you. It could be an executive functioning deficit. And so understanding that might help to reduce kind of that escalating response to the situation. A third consideration is receptive language. So this is the ability to actually understand language. The example I just talked about was talking about maybe they understood everything you said, but things were dropping out of their memory. The other thing is you should consider, do they actually understand everything you're trying to tell them to do or you're trying to explain? And so you might be having a situation and you're explaining why it's a no, but they actually might not be able to understand it. One, because if they have receptive language that isn't matching the level of where you're speaking, that's contributing. But also as children get more dysregulated, particularly autistic children, but this is true across the board. And even as adults, this is true. As we get more dysregulated, it's harder to take information in. It's like information overwhelm. So you might be describing 
and explaining to them why it's a no, but they might not be fully comprehending it. Also, keep in mind, expressive language is another piece. Like, they may be feeling really misunderstood. Maybe they're trying to explain something, and the way that they're explaining it isn't making sense to you. And so then you're having this miscommunication, and miscommunication often causes this escalation and dysregulation. Other things that might be popping up and other kind of underlying reasons we see more dysregulation in autistic children is Autistic children might have difficulty with the feelings that arise. So when you have an intense emotional reaction, those feelings can be distressing themselves and they might be even more distressing for your autistic child. That as soon as they feel those intense emotions come on, all of their skills go out the window or maybe they don't even have the skills to be able to deal with them. So every time that these distressing feelings come up, it's like, automatic shutdown mode. The last piece, and this is somewhat related to what I was just saying, is sensory overstimulation. The world can be a much more hectic place for autistics, right? Maybe you might hear a slight humming, but to them it's incredibly distracting or loud or even painful. Or the overhead lights, particularly fluorescent lights that are in like classrooms or malls, things like that, they they may feel so harsh to your autistic child. Other things is maybe they're overheating too, like they don't have body regulation. And this sensory overstimulation is going to contribute to more emotional dysregulation. Think about when you're sick, for example, right? Immediately your capacity is way less. And so not that they're, they're like have a virus or anything. Although if your child does have a virus, I hear this time and time again, it, I will be honest in my clinical practice, it has been a couple weeks of Taylor, it feels like everything is going in the opposite direction. Like we're having a lot more challenges, things like that. There are so many viruses going around right now. Also the time of year and shifting of routines, all of that are contributing. But anyway, I digress in this point. So I just wanted to give you an analogy of when you feel bad, how your capacity is limited. And so sensory overstimulation may be limiting their capacity for emotion regulation. Okay, I know that was a lot, but I think it's really important to understand this phenomenon before we jump into tips. Because I can give you tips all day, but if you don't really fully understand their application and why we're doing the things we're doing, it's gonna be so much harder for you to implement. I know we are just about to get into the juicy stuff, but I wanna keep these episodes short and sweet. So what that means is next week, I will bring you five tips for supporting your child's emotion regulation and supporting your own regulation. So be sure to tune in for that where we are going to give you actionable things that you can actually apply with your family. Hit the follow or subscribe button so you're notified when that episode is live. And in the meantime, I challenge you to really think about what this episode talked about today and what What applies to your child? Pay attention to those small details and what might be exacerbating their dysregulation as well as your response to that. Are you regulated yourself? Oh, and if you want to dive deeper into this topic, be sure to sign up for my masterclass. The link is in the show notes. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. 
It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.